The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, preached on March 18, 2012, based on Psalm 25, verses 6 through 15. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our, our sermon series based on Psalm 25, our heartfelt prayer. As we take to heart these words uh, uh, that the Holy Spirit gave David to pray and to record so that we too may take them to heart. Today we focus on Psalm 25, verses 6 through 15. Rem remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. The rains came down day after day. Nothing could stop the waters. The waves washed away countless lives. For a hundred and fifty days, Noah waited. God's long-suffering with sinner's arrogance had come to an end. And after he gave mankind 120 years to repent, as they heard Noah's preaching, but yet they refused. And so the flood destroyed all that lived on the land. Only Noah and those on the ark with him were saved. But what about Noah, now that the flood had come? Was he and those with him left to fend for themselves? Were they to make the best of what they could out of the ruined world that came after the flood? No, no, not at all, as you well know. After Genesis chapter 7 describes the destruction that the flood ravaged, Genesis 8 begins with these words, And God remembered Noah. Now, as you would quickly point out to me, God doesn't forget. It wasn't that he lost track of Noah during those 40 days when the floodgates of heaven rained down and the fountains of the deep burst forth. God hadn't gotten busy doing something else during the 150 days that the waters prevailed and continued on the earth before they started going down, no. Even during all that time, Noah and those with him on the ark were under the Lord's constant care. But now, now the Lord takes action to prepare this ruined world for Noah. 
Just like you and I take action when we remember something. And so God uses that human terminology to describe himself. He remembers. And that's what we hear David calling on the Lord to do in the psalm here as well, don't we? Remember your mercy, O Lord. Yes, Lord, let your mercy now take action. Remember your mercy and deal with me according to your love, according to that mercy. And that's our prayer as well, isn't it? Remember your mercy, O Lord. That's the theme here today. Remember your mercy, for my sins are great, but your mercy, your goodness, is even greater. That's part one. Remember your mercy, for I want to walk with you in godly fear. That's part two. Now, why does David call on the Lord here to remember his mercy, to take action according to his mercy? Well, let's take a look again at the opening words of the text. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. And so to paraphrase David here, he's calling on the Lord to take action according to his mercy so that his sins are forgiven, especially those sins of his youth. Now, what were the sins of David's youth? Maybe when we think of the sins of youth, we think of raging hormones and the indiscretion of youthful passions and David's adultery with Bathsheba jumps into our minds. But David wasn't a youth when that happened. He was already middle-aged and not even older. What does the Bible tell us about David's youth? Well, he was obedient to his father, He faithfully served his family by taking care of the sheep. He trusted the Lord with his life, whether that was going about his daily chores of guarding the sheep from the bear or the wolf, or whether that was facing the giant Goliath. He was loyal to King Saul, even after Saul became his enemy and tried to hunt him down and kill him repeatedly. And the David put the Lord first. Even during that time of his life when he was on the run and it seemed as if God had abandoned him. Yes, Scripture describes David in his youth as a man after the Lord's own heart. His his, his youth was an example for us all to follow. So what troubled David about the sins of his youth? Why would he call on the Lord to be merciful to him? He had been a good kid. Well, the answer there, friends, the answer confronts our own dulled consciences with our own sins. For how often don't we try to dismiss the sins of youth with excuses like boys will be boys or they're just going through a phase or simply calling them youthful indiscretions. And don't we do that sometimes because if we can dismiss the sins of youth and say that the youth aren't really fully accountable, that that then lessens our guilt and makes us think that, well, you know, Those past things I did weren't all that bad anyway. Or or sometimes we can try to dull our conscience by going to the other end of the spectrum and lament of how how disrespectful and even obscene the youth culture of today has become and say, at least I wasn't that bad in my youth or if we're still in our younger days, at least I don't do, do all that kind of junk that the other kids do. 
But isn't that again trying to ease our conscience by accentuating the sins of others so that we don't look so bad in comparison? But your conscience knows better, doesn't it? And that's why the sins of youth can haunt us even on into old age. David knew that no matter how good a kid he had been, how exemplary his life was, he was a sinner and his sin was great. And so also, I don't care what the sins of your youth were or what your present sins are, whether the world would rank them as great or small. Like my sins, your sins are great because of the one whom we have sinned against. Yes, our sins are great because of the greatness of the one whom we have offended, whose laws we have broken. We have sinned against the God whose greatness transcends the universe, whose power fills all things. David knew that. And therefore... He knew that the greatness of his sins needed the greatness of God's mercy. And he pleads for that mercy. He pleads for that forgiveness. A little later in the psalm, he calls out, For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. And that, dear Christian, is our prayer as well. Forgive my sin, O Lord. Forgive my great sin, for all my sins are great in your sight. Forgive me for your name's sake. Don't for, or forgive me not because I'm praying or I, because I'm sorry or because I, I'll do better. No, Lord, forgive me for the sake of your name, because of who you are, because of the greatness of your goodness and mercy. And notice how before David asks for forgiveness that second time there in verse 11, how, how before he does that, he actually stops the asking part of his prayer and, and simply describes God's goodness and love. He describes the Lord's name, uh, describes who the Lord is. Listen again to that section there as he, he says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Yes, that's where David draws his courage and confidence to ask for forgiveness. By recalling and remembering who the Lord is, the greatness of his mercy and goodness. And isn't that a lesson for our own prayer lives? How often do we leave off from the asking so that we can pray in a way that simply repeats to God what He has told us about Himself, that praises His name, that, that, that describes who He is, and therefore draw confidence from the fact that the Lord is our great and good and merciful God. Yes, Lord, remember Your mercy for my sins are great, but your goodness, your goodness is greater. And if we just look at that first part here uh, of that section where David says, good and upright is the Lord. Just think of what that brings to our minds here as we meditate on those words. 
First of all, it, it brings a question, doesn't it? How can God be good to us sinners and yet also upright, which means he punishes all who do wrong? And that takes us right to the cross, doesn't it? For only there at the cross do we see God's goodness, his love, that gave his son as a sacrifice for all sins. And there at the cross as well we see his uprightness and justice that punished all sins by punishing Jesus in the place of every sinner. There at the cross, his goodness and his justice meet. So that because of the cross, even his justice now pleads, forgive sinners because Jesus has suffered the just punishment and paid the full price for them. And so we pray, Lord, have mercy because of your great goodness. For although my sins are great, your goodness in Christ and his cross, your goodness is greater. So if you've been trying to ease your conscience by diminishing the, the sins of your past or by accentuating the sins of others, stop. Stop before it's too late. And see the great goodness of your God in the cross of Christ. There you see his mercy that is from of old, his eternal mercy, his mercy that is found only in Christ's cross where his goodness and uprightness meet. And as you recall the love, the compassion, the truth, and the faithfulness of your God there displayed on the cross, then pray with David, remember your mercy, O Lord, and forgive my sins. For my sins are great, yet your mercy, your goodness is greater. And now, now that you have tasted the goodness of your God and the greatness of his mercy that forgives, now we want to walk with our Lord in his ways. We want him to remember his mercy so that we can walk with him in godly fear. Which brings us to the second part here. And, and we look at those words of David in the, the last part of the text here where he writes, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. Now, doesn't it sound a little outdated to call a Christian a God-fearing man or woman? Isn't God a loving God? Why should we fear him? Isn't he like a kind-hearted grandfather? Yes, I'll listen to his sage advice respectfully, but then I'll go do my own thing. He won't mind. He won't write me out of his will. God is love, the Bible says. But dear friend, if you know God, the true God, not the God of our own invention, but the God of the Bible, the Lord, the one and only God, then you know the greatness of his mercy. And such greatness causes us to tremble. How could the almighty God who governs the universe be concerned about insignificant me? How could the eternal Father give up his Son for a wretch like me? 
How could those hands that rule the wind and the waves be pierced by nails for me? How great his mercy and the greatness of that mercy causes us to tremble in that godly fear that bows in awe and wonder and amazement. What a great God we have. How great his mercy. And so too, we pray with David, or we could paraphrase his words here, and pray like this. I want to walk with you, O Lord, in godly fear. For you, your ways are right and good. I want you to teach me your ways according to your commandments, the way you have chosen, because you teach, you instruct all who fear you. I want to walk with you, O Lord, in godly fear, for your way is right and good. Your way brings contentment on this earth, no matter what the hardship or the loss. And it finally leads to that heavenly inheritance, that sweet and blessed country, that land beyond our woe. I want to walk with you, O Lord, in godly fear, because you confide in all who fear you. You you bring into my heart that wisdom which is hidden from the world, which the world rejects as foolishness and weakness. You bring into my heart that secret, hidden wisdom revealed only through your word, your covenant recorded by the prophets and apostles. You bring into my heart that secret wisdom of your mercy in Christ, which only the Holy Spirit can open my eyes, uh, my mind to see and my, my heart to believe. My eyes are always toward you, O Lord. Release my feet from the snare so that I do not trip as I walk with you in holy fear. Remember your mercy, O Lord. What words for us to pray when the greatness of our sin trouble us and what words for us to pray as we long to walk with our Lord in that godly fear that trembles at the greatness of his goodness in Christ. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.